The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is supported by Visa. Hello, I'm Faker Others and welcome to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. In the most anticipated match of the tournament so far, the Netherlands went Dutch with Sweden, while underdogs Portugal show potential to cause an upset in Group C, which now looks like it's become the group of death. An inspired Spain come from behind and beat Finland after a Puteas pep talk. Germany are quite good, right? And Caroline Graham Hansen might still be nutmegging players in Southampton. Another record broken as well, this time the biggest attendance at a Women's Euros match, not including a host nation, and almost as many goals scored in the first five minutes than in the entirety of Euro 2017. We'll look back at all the games from Group A to C, look ahead to Group D, take your questions, and that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is supported by Visa, a proud sponsor of UEFA Women's Euro 2022. In 2018, Visa became the first ever UEFA sponsor dedicated to women's football and is now one of the world's most active sponsors of the sport. Its global investment in women's football includes sponsorship of the FIFA World Cup and the UEFA Women's Champions League, as well as the US Soccer Federation and the US Women's National Team. Through the company's sponsorship of the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023 and other leading women's football organisations around the world, the company strives to be a catalyst for change and contribute to the growing recognition of women's football. Visa is committed to growing women's football at all levels, increasing visibility and future-proofing the women's game. Find out more at theguardian.com slash all hyphen win. Oh, right. OK, what a panel we have for you today. Women's football journalist, freelance, Alex Ibaceta, busy everywhere at the moment. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. I saw you partying <laughs> with, uh, with the Orange Army last night. I'm still recovering a bit this morning. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you don't look it, to be fair, but um, we shall see how we get on in 40 minutes' time. Now then, we have a legend in our midst. 144 England caps to her name. Good morning, Karen Carney. Good morning. How are you all? Very, very well, thank you. Nick Ames, always a pleasure. How are you? I'm good. I haven't got quite as many England caps, and nor am I a legend, but I'll do my best. Oh, you're a legend to us, Nick, except for the fact that you came on and the first thing you said this morning is, sorry, but I have to leave. (laughs) So you're going to have to do the end of it without me. Where are you going? That might be my best contribution. I'm I'm, I'm, uh, going up to Manchester to uh, see Erling Haaland um, be unveiled for the men's team, which might be a tough ask because he doesn't like talking much, as, as you might know. Yeah, yeah, I definitely know that. Um, well, I mean, biffed off for Erling Haaland. I, mean, I think we can cope with that, although I feel slightly, slightly offended. Um, right, the orange wall descended on Sheffield and reigning champions, the Netherlands, kicked off their tournament with a one-all draw with Olympic silver medalists Sweden. A goal from recent Chelsea departee, Jonna Andersen, cancelled out in the second half by former Arsenal player Jill Rawd. I mean, this was... Quite an event, wasn't it? Alex, let's start with you because you were there. Uh, potentially the best day out of the tournament 
that we've had so far, they, they absolutely packed out Sheffield. Their famous fan walk just looked absolutely incredible. What was the atmosphere actually like to be there? Yeah, it was it was amazing. It started quite early on, which is really interesting. Um, you were kind of starting the day and celebrating around like 2 p.m., 1 p.m. And obviously kickoff isn't until 8 p.m. So you're looking down, everything's starting, and you look down and you're kind of like, all right, there's still seven hours until kickoff. What am I going to do for those seven hours? Um, and the answer is just party. Um, you're celebrating everyone just being there, and it was amazing. The, the atmosphere brought by the Dutch fans is you know rivaled uh, by no one at the moment. Everyone shows up. The, what I like about the Dutch fans is that they organize everything, so everyone's in the same place doing the same thing all the way up to the match, which is obviously very different when you have the same amount of fans, just everyone kind of doing their own thing and, and it's not really the same atmosphere. But yeah, it was it was a DJ. It was a party from the start. And then obviously the fan walk was unbelievable. I missed it in 2019 France. So I've been waiting since then for this moment. And we did the fan walk and it was, you know, it was everything you you kind of imagined it to be. And it was really entertaining to see all the the people not really going to football match out on the streets, just being like, um, what's happening here exactly? Um, just being very confused, very overwhelmed, and it was really nice. But you know, look, the Dutch fans brought atmosphere. Um, although I, I would say that the Swedish fans brought the atmosphere at the stadium, so that was really interesting to see kind of the the flip from before kickoff and after kickoff. Oh, that is interesting, and and I suppose if you live in Sheffield and you didn't know that there was a a major tournament going on. You certainly do now. Um, it was something of a grudge match, though, wasn't it, Karen? The, the Netherlands knocked Sweden out of the 2017 Euros and the 2019 World Cup. It seemed pretty likely that if someone was going to win this, then they're going to top the group. Obviously, loads of the players know each other as well. The sight of Magda Eriksson going up against Vivian Miedemar, pretty familiar to us in the WSL. But how much do these rivalries as a player play into your mind when you come into a tournament? Um, I don't think it'd be necessary rivals in, in this group game. I think um, you just want to get the result done. Um, I'd say, obviously, two heavyweights, I would say, in the, in the women's uh, Euros this summer. Both of them... I think the Netherlands have kind of come under the radar. Not under the radar, but I know they're current champions. But I think because of the result against England, everyone's kind of played them down a little bit. And even myself, I've gone more Sweden heavy. And fair play to me, you never write champions off. And I don't mean that in the Netherlands in a disrespectful way. I do think because of how England performed and the result there, um, people have kind of said maybe not this, this time. But I thought the second half there was superb. And we mentioned Viv Miedemar there. I thought she was exceptional in the second half I thought tactically Holland played it really well the second half in terms of if you watch Viv's clip she was more playing on the on the um on the left hand side where the gaps were and I thought she played that really with role players and just used the space when the fullbacks went on of um of Sweden but sometimes as a player I get a bit nervous to say how will it look on TV because I've been going to the games live and I have to say that game last night had skill strength speed power and sometimes you get worried that if someone's new what is watching the sport, they might not enjoy it. But I have to say, I sat back and absolutely thoroughly loved these two heavyweights going head to head at it, and it was a it was a great game. 
Yeah, it's definitely the game that I should have told uh, that taxi driver in Manchester to go and watch, uh, for sure. Um, Nick, the Netherlands lost two of their their starters to injury in the first half and and two big names as well, goalkeeper Sari van Veenendaal and central defender Anik Nouwen. But it kind of galvanised them, didn't it, weirdly? Yeah, it did. They they found another gear or two, and you got to give credit to the to the sub keeper because she she played a blinder. A couple of I think one one very good save that I can remember particularly in the second half. I think after the equaliser, and um, they look very composed. And I think that composure is is what you need during a tournament when you're a big side. You have to be able to ride with the punches, and they were two quite heavy ones. And I felt overall, just as um as Karen was saying as well, it. it it felt this like a tournament game with edge and intensity, a bit of tension, a bit of snap about it. And I felt that was really encouraging that we could see two two top teams, top, top teams, turn up this early at a major tournament and, and give people that. And that doesn't mean there was sort of a, a chance a minute or something like that. It was just, it was, it was a good tactical, intense game of football. And I have to echo also what was said about Miedema. I thought for the equaliser by Jill Rood, even though the ball came to her from a bit of a ricochet in the end, that all came because Miedema did an incredible spin, really tight on my touchline, quite near halfway, losing her marker. Absolutely fantastic piece of skill to start that move. And that was encouraging too that, that, um, that Miedema's turned up from the start. I felt... You know, we saw a great piece of skill as well, didn't we, from Kosova Aslani for the Sweden goal. And I think it's a very good thing for the tournament if, A, we're seeing a real ding-dong tight head-to-head like that. And also if some of the big names are turning up and providing these moments, which people like us appreciate, but also people who might be watching a tournament for the first time will, will go home and be able to rave about, really. Yeah, uh, another player who who stood out, Alex, uh, Jackie Gronin. We kind of expected that anyway, but there was a tweet after the match that amused me saying, 70% of the earth is covered by water and the rest is Jackie Gronin. How important was she in this match? Yeah, look, there's there's no words to say uh, how Jackie Gronin uh, played yesterday. I mean, just starting with the techers that she, she pulled off, um, I think three or four times where I was just like... Pfft just like kind of reacting, um, not really realizing that the people around me didn't really know the players. So I think I was reacting a bit too much and they were just like, you need to calm down just a little bit, please. Um, but no, she's she's amazing. I think that midfields is one of the most composed midfields, mostly because of Shadia Spitsin and Shaki Runin, who have a very similar role, but then Shaki Runin brings in that little extra spice and flavor that you don't really expect from a holding midfielder sometimes. Um, but look, her ball recovery, her distribution, her tackers to get out of tight spaces, it's unrivaled sometimes and perhaps most of the time undervalued um, because she doesn't have, you know, the glory goals and she doesn't have, you know, all the assists. But she's probably doing one of the most important jobs on the pitch of keeping a solid defensive line in front of that back four. Um, and on top of that, you know, distribution and ball recovery and, and just kind of she's the engine of, of that midfield. And, you know, it's it's unbelievable how good she is sometimes at getting out of small spaces. We've seen it, you know, with she did a simple comeback and she just left two players um, in her desk quite easily. And that's undervalued because then she's able to, you know, if Viv is playing as a 10, like she did a little bit yesterday, she's able to give the ball to Viv into space because she's dragged in. Um, the Swedish defenders and Viv is able to get into that space as we saw with Joe Ward as well a few times 
Um, so the importance of Shaki Grunin is amazing. And even if you don't understand the tactics of it, she's just a really good player to watch. Yeah, she really is. How would you have approached the game, Karen? Because as the opening game of a tournament, two favourites, the history, as you said, doesn't come into play in, in your mind. But how do you go into a game like that? I think it's hard because obviously you mentioned earlier that the group is is ridiculously tight, it's hard. And I think you obviously going into this game, you want to beat them because you want to top the group, you want to have control, you want to have autonomy and you want to hit the ground running with the tournament and, and that builds confidence, that builds momentum. So I think it's it, the opening game, especially for both these teams, playing against such top quality opposition, sometimes you just want to play someone you probably expected to win. So then you start growing and growing and getting stronger and stronger and pretty much, maybe I shouldn't say this, but how England did it the other day. I don't think England played particularly well the other day, but they got the result and then you grow on and grow on. But they've gone in, Netherlands and Sweden playing a banging game. That was, for me, like a final game. Do you know what I mean? You wouldn't expect that in the first game for them, so that's hard for the players. But then someone might challenge me and go, well, at least they're prepared if they do progress out of the group. They've had a big game, they've dusted it off, and if you hadn't, you wouldn't be as prepared. So... Obviously, I've just answered it as a player. You think lots of different things and you don't know which, sometimes which one's best for you, but you just want to try and get the three points. But but like I said earlier, I just think for me, I, I sat back and, and loved that game last night. Uh, I actually turned more into fan than trying to learn as a pundit because it was just so good and credit to everyone that went to the game and created the atmosphere and you can hear from Alex's voice as well. She got involved and um, looks, like she's, <laughs> looks like she's recovering just more. a little bit, maybe. Yeah, exactly. So, um, But yeah, I think it's just the, the first one's just dusting it off because you just don't know how you feel, even body-wise as well. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Louis van Gaal, the, the, the coach of the Netherlands men's team, was there as well. It was a, a record crowd for a women's Euros group game as well, not involving the hosts. 21,342 there. I feel as if we're just going to keep having records um, falling left, right and centre in this tournament in particular. But let's, let's have a quick focus on Sweden because they went into the tournament as one of the favourites. And listen, I'm looking at Susie Rack right now because... She was bigging up their chances, but forgive me if I'm wrong, it felt as if something was missing and it was really hard for me to put my finger on what it was, but they just didn't feel as much as if they were hitting their stride. But perhaps that was me watching it on the on the telly and expecting great things, Nick. What did you think? Yeah, maybe you want to see a team turn the screw a little bit more in that kind of, of situation after they've gone a goal up, for example. I mean, if, 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 if you're comparing them, this might be a simplistic comparison, but I, I was at the Germany game the other night against Denmark, which we will come to, and Germany did not stop. And their intensity and pressing and, and everything about them was really insistent. And I felt, and again, others might disagree, I just felt maybe Sweden weren't quite as intense, quite as insistent and maybe not quite as, um, I don't know, maybe they didn't turn the screw to the extent that they could have. But, but you know, they still had chances to win it in, in the second half. So maybe we're being harsh. Maybe they were just coming up against a very, very good opponent, which I think they quite obviously were. Yeah, um, it's made it a very interesting group. This is a, a tweet that's coming to us from Glenn Naylor 
Would anyone have put Portugal-Switzerland down as the most entertaining game so far before the tournament began? And I think the answer, Glenn, is uh, no. But your sentiments are definitely echoed around Twitter. It was a barnstormer, wasn't it? I mean, such a fast start from Switzerland, 2-0 up within the first four or five minutes, uh, thanks to a wonder goal from Columbus Sau and a header um, from Rahal Kiwich before Portugal came back into the second half with equalisers from Diana Gomez and Jessica Silva. This was a, an absolute cracker and actually either team could have won it in the second half as well, Alex. Yeah, it was. It definitely wasn't expected, uh, kind of what you saw. You would have potentially expected Switzerland to, to edge it. Just, I mean, and they were 2-0 up and somehow lost that. But with the players that each team has Switzerland do have players that play at the higher level than Portugal do um, but then at the same time Portugal have the advantage that most players play in Portugal so most of these players do play together there's six from Sporting I think it was um, and there's six players from you know the top clubs so Portugal while don't play out of Portugal they all play together so that's a big advantage that they have but yeah, look, with the players that, you know, with Leo Valti, with Anna Maria, Cernor uh, Ramona Bachman, you would expect Switzerland to be able to just edge it. I'm not saying, you know, a win of 4-0 easily, but you probably would expect them to maybe score a bit more goals if Portugal was kind of coming on to them. But yeah, I mean, yesterday was an exciting day and, and Switzerland-Portugal, again, not to disrespect, but unfortunate for them, you know, now Sweden and, and the Netherlands have to go off goal difference to, to see who tops the group. So it's going to be really hard for them to kind of control that. And once I think the Netherlands more than Sweden, I think once the Netherlands get going and get a couple goals in, it's really hard. They get into a really good tempo usually and, and they do get high scoring games. So it's going to be really interesting to see how Switzerland and Portugal kind of go off of this first match and get into, you know, the hard matches of this group. Interestingly, Karen, Portugal, the only team in women's Euros history not to lose after being two or more goals down at half time. I mean, the result didn't suit either side, exactly as, as Alex alluded to with Netherlands and Sweden. But perhaps have, have people underestimated Portugal because they were late call-ups, obviously replacing Russia, but they looked a really good team. Yeah, it's funny, I saw one of my Portuguese teammates in Manchester the other day and um, I think they they just, I just smiled when I saw her, you know, and there was the rest of the teammates were there. I think, not in a bad way, I think obviously getting the late call up, it, I just got the impression of like, right, let's just go enjoy it, you know, express ourselves, there's no pressure on us, there's no pressure on ourselves. I think you saw that and then you saw with the goal when the goal went in, the confidence of the group just grew and could have gone on and won it. Do you know what I mean? When they bought the subs, I think she had the last chance hitting the hitting the post and could have gone on to win it late on. But again, this is a bit cliche and I, I shouldn't I hate saying it, but yes, that game, the two two game, just summed up a tournament game where, you know, you two nil up early on and you, you don't see out the game, you don't manage the game as effectively, and a cross comes in and you find yourself off a set piece, a ricochet, two one. And you're thinking, right, you're back in the game now. And you're like, that's a tournament kind of, as a player, I'm thinking that's really naive for us. I think it just gave the confidence then for Portugal. And like I said, another cross comes in, don't defend it well. It was a great finish and, and could have gone on and won it. But that's what you don't do well, Switzerland. You, you tune a lot, you don't see out the game. And, and I think that for me, something as a player, we'd be kicking ourselves with because they're controllables. But let them back in the game and, and they got and they could have won it. So... I feel like Portugal, they're just here and they're just going to keep going with it. There's no expectations on them or themselves and they're just going to enjoy it and see where it takes them. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they can potentially do. Switzerland, though, feel as if they're underperforming a little bit. We saw them kind of go to pieces against England in that final warm-up game as well. So perhaps a mental strength problem as well, because they have so many good players in the team, Nick, but just don't seem to be able to see games out. Yeah, I think um, Alex mentioned earlier some of the really experienced heads they've got in that team. And you would fully have, have expected after what was it, four or five minutes that they're two up, you would have thought, A, they should see it out, but B, maybe this is, um, is an even better example of what I was talking about with Sweden. Really, they could go for the throat and have it finished by half-time, but I think Will Unwin, our reporter who was at the game doing our match report, summed it up quite well by saying it was almost like they went on holiday for, um, for the rest of the game. It was a lovely sunny day, they were two up, and maybe they thought... Maybe there was something subconscious saying, you know, we can drop a gear and see this through. I don't know, but you would certainly expect players of the calibre and experience they've got to have known when to ramp it up and when not. So I was quite disappointed. You you sort of felt you might be on for a bit of a show from them after after a few minutes. And in the end, it was a funny game, wasn't it? Both sides will be kicking themselves a bit. They'll be kicking themselves for the reasons we've just spoken about. But But Portugal really had the chances, especially towards added time, to see them off. So one of those games where both teams have got something to feel happy and not so happy about. Yeah, open Group C. Right, that's it for part one. In part two, we'll discuss the most impressive team so far at the Euros, as well as what Spain without Alexia Puteas looked like and how Northern Ireland fared in their first ever game at a major tournament. This podcast is supported by Visa, so we wanted to tell you more about how they're helping develop the women's game all over the world. One of their initiatives is providing football camps in places like Turkey, where less than 1% of licensed football players are women. That's why Visa are working with social enterprises like Kisla Sahada to give young girls in the country the chance to play football. Today, we're joined by Chansu, who recently participated in one of these camps. Chansu, lovely to see you. As we've heard, women's football isn't as big in Turkey as in other parts of the world. So how did you first become interested in it? I never had the chance to play uh, till the age six. And in our neighborhood, uh, boys used to play football all the time. Uh, one day, uh, they had a like player uh, and he didn't come to the match. One of the like bigger boys told me that, would you like to be our goalkeeper? That summer, I started to go to a summer camp to play football. And you recently took part in what sounded like a, an amazing football camp, which was supported by Visa. Um, you won a prize as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that and why it's a, a real dream come true for you? A few weeks ago, we went to Kızlar Sahada's camp and participated to win the prize to go to the Euro finals in England. And the dream come true part is in 2016, while I was coming back from the US to Turkey. We couldn't catch our flight uh, from London to Turkey and we stayed in London for a day. I wanted to go to Wembley, but uh, because we, I didn't have a visa, they told us that we won't be able to go inside the Wembley and check the place. So this year I will go to Wembley and <laughs> will be able to see the Euro finals and be a bulkhead in the Euro finals. So I'm really happy about that. 
Chansu, thank you so much for your time. I really hope you enjoy your trip to Wembley. I will see you at the final. See you. Now back to the show. Welcome back to part two of the Guardian's Women's Football Weekly. Now, the group of death, the real group of death, even though uh, Group C is trying to steal, steal its mantle, uh, began on Friday as Spain faced Finland and Germany played Denmark, uh, both teams scoring four to kick off their Euros. But I think it's fair to say that we can all agree Germany were the more impressive of the two. Goals from Lena McGull, Lena Latvine, Leah Schuller and Alex Pop as well. Uh, this is a tweet from Marissa Lordanich. I'm really sorry if I've not pronounced your name properly, Marissa. Uh, Lena, Lena and Leah scoring for Germany like some sort of Pokemon evolution shit. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, Nick, you were at this game of Germany kind of flown under everyone's radar a little bit. I'm just putting a little caveat to that. Not on Guardian Women's Football Weekly, they haven't, because they were tipped as one of the favourites. But what did you think of them? It's incredible, isn't it? Because they've won the thing, what is it, eight times. And we were talking before the tournament about are people going to underestimate them or not? Won't be making that mistake now, will we? I mean, it was a fantastic night's football down at Brentford. And First thing to say is Denmark were very heavily supported and really well supported by, you know, several thousand out of the 15,000 attendants. Because um, for anyone who might not know, the, the men's team at Brentford has been Danish run and Danish part owned and there's a big Danish influence there. So it felt at the outset as if it was set up a bit for Denmark to, to sort of make hay in their little enclave of West London. And for the first sort of two minutes of the game, it was quite end-to-end and you felt, okay, we could be in for the kind of ding-dong that we saw last night. But Germany were just fantastic. They were so insistent. Down the flanks, they completely tore them apart. Hooth on the right, ball on the left. Such clever support and running from Schiller and and, and from Magel um, from the number 10 position who isn't a player that I get to see every week, but I thought was incredibly clever, took up great positions, scored a fantastic opener. And they just kept coming. And I mean, Denmark, I know, have had a lot of success with their wing-backs going into this, but it just felt that Germany knew that and totally nullified it and isolated both of the centre-backs in the back three on either side and completely destroyed them. And I mean, they hit the woodwork twice before going a goal up. They had another couple of chances and it could have been three or four at half time. I think the only complaint the coach had afterwards, um, Voss Tecklenburg, was that they hadn't been clinical enough up to that point. And then in the second half, they kept coming. And just as Denmark for, um, made a triple sub, bringing on Nadia Nadim, among others, and you thought the scale was my tip, they scored again, scored another couple. And what I loved about that performance was that they just kept on coming. They kept on coming. And it's good for the tournament, I think, to have a statement performance like that. Um, you know, a team showing how good they are and providing a reference for everyone else and a marker. And I think that was what we saw the other night. And it was, it was, it was a fantastic occasion. And I've got to say, while it was in some ways like a Denmark home game, Germany were fantastically supported too. And their fans gave them a fantastic reception afterwards. They did a kind of lap of honour almost. And um, I think it was a... Um, that kind of game early in a tournament I think is important the same as last night so I think it's a really nice tone the fact that there were also four different goal scorers says a lot about the German squad I think arguably if not the most talented U23 squad that there is right now but also uh, just to add to the point of 
how good Germany are and maybe perhaps why maybe people underestimated them. They didn't really prep pre-Euros with, you know, these big games against the um, Euro opposition, really, because I think the coach wanted to kind of focus on team building and just getting the, the right mood within the squad. And when you look at the game and you see the team that finished off this match, every single player either plays for Wolfsburg or Bayern. So now you kind of understand the fact that most of these players have played together for years and years and perhaps, you know, team building might have been the right call by the coach, you know, considering that most of the players play together anyway. So I thought it was quite interesting to see Germany come into this, you know, really, really strong, really, really ready without the same preparation that most other nations had. Um, so that I thought that was quite impressive and perhaps sets the president of how well they're going to do this tournament now. It was the first ever Euros goal for Alex Pop, Karen. She missed 2013 and 17 because of injury. For anyone who doesn't quite know her influence, she's such a huge legend of, of the women's game. Uh, what more can you tell us about her and how important is she for this Germany side? I think a lot of players know or oppositions know her as Poppy. Um, and I didn't realise that stat till you just told me that. Because I thought when she scored the goal, she came out, she was really emotional and she celebrated. She kind of went down and kind of, and the team kind of went straight to her. And I thought, that's a bit, because I've played against Pop and known Pop for, for years and years. And I thought, now you told me that kind of makes sense. But there was definitely emotion towards her goal and her celebration. And by the way, what a goal it was. I, I clapped it and I thought, oh, um, they're meant to be neutral but just one thing on the German side the one concern I had about them is we we are you know Alex said they're the best on the 23 side and I thought they've already got three yellow cards in that game and the key player for me was Oberdorf and I thought she got a yellow card early on and I thought oh and I said to, to one of the former German players I know um, Josie I said oh I'm a bit concerned that the yellow cards might cost you moving on in the tournament you know you're a bit of na- naivety and then I just realised I've got Pop. If Oberdorf's not available, Pop can just slot in there and go, here's the experience. And I just think, you're right. I think both Nick and Alex have just said how good and strong they are. And the squad depth as well is pretty strong. From now on, on Guardian Women's Football Weekly, Alexandra Pop will be known as Poppy. Uh, just a note for anyone coming back on the pod again. Uh, she's Poppy as far as I'm concerned. Uh, right, let's move on to Spain, Finland, shall we? Because this one kicked off with a little bit of a shock, Alex. Linda Salström scoring in the opening 50 seconds and we all thought we might have had an upset on our hands. Yeah, it wasn't expected at all. I don't think anyone expected that. But look, it was... You know, it was, it was a clearance from Mapi Leon and first time ball back from Finland and the ball just landed right smack in the middle of Mapi Leon and Irene Paredes. And you could say that they definitely weren't ready for that. You know, the, the Finnish player just kind of ran right through them. And I mean, you know, brilliant finish. Uh, Sandra Paños got fingertips for it, but the placement on that was was nearly perfect. So credit to them. Um, you kind of didn't know what was going to happen next because Spain have a history of not being able to score goals when they need to. So you kind of looked at that and you didn't really know whether Spain were going to be able to get back or at least get back quickly um, the way they needed to after that early goal, uh, mostly for morale and, and kind of confidence that they need. Um, but I thought they did well. They got the job done. But yeah, after that finish goal, you you didn't know what to expect. And again, with, with Spain kind of being who they are, despite the players that they have, um, you know, the top players, sometimes mentally they can be a bit weak. And they sometimes don't know how to get back uh, what they need. And, and scoring goals is, 
is what um they kind of lack sometimes despite everything but yeah it was they got it done and you know credit to Finland for for putting up I thought a decent fight Listen, you're going to butcher me completely because obviously you have the most beautiful tones when you pronounce these names. I didn't even do GCSE Spanish, so uh, bear with me. Um, Spain got back into the game. Uh, three-headed goals from Irina Paredes, Aitana Bonmarti, Lucia Garcia and a last-minute penalty from Mariona Caldenti. Marks out of 10? You know what? Not bad. That was good. Okay, not bad. I'll take that. <laughs> uh, headed goals aren't exactly what we kind of expect from Spain, but it, it does show, Nick, that they're, they're not one-trick ponies, perhaps. It does show that. And I was I was actually going to say something similar, that, um, you know, if there's any sort of disappointment for Finland, who admittedly didn't come in expecting too much, it would be that they conceded that way three times and, and then from a the spot. Um, but, yeah, it does show that Spain, you know... who who've had their problems coming in, in for tournament. We we all know they've lost Pateas and that kind of thing. They they're not one trick ponies. They can mix things up and the second goal, wasn't it? The header from Bon Marti, I thought was absolutely fantastic. A late arrival in um, into the box and perfectly directed it. Um the first goal was a lot of hunger, I thought, to get onto the end of that cross and be there first in a crowded box. You know, again, maybe a bit of a cliche, but that is what champions require. If you're not going to pick teams apart through your flowing football, if you do have an early shock like they did and Finland put together a couple of other nice moves at 1-0 as well, then sometimes you've got to do it another way. And and they did it. And I'm expecting to see a lot more from Spain in this tournament. I'm, I'm expecting to um, to see maybe a bit more of the football that we know them for, but... I felt that was the way to do it this time. And yeah, I again, the second goal particularly, I thought was a very good example of, of what they can do. We will talk about Alexia Puteas in a second, but Nick has his coat on. Um, he's got his backpack on. He's ready to leg it out the door. So before he goes, Nick, I want to ask you... Spain face Germany on Tuesday night. Obviously might be the decider of the group. Can you call it? It's going to be such a cracking game, that, isn't it? Um, again, maybe it's recency bias, maybe it's immediacy bias from having been at the Germany game, but just I, I was just so impressed with Germany and, and, I, and I still think Spain need to dial it up a little bit, like we just said. So I am saying Germany and I'm very happy to have egg on my face in a few days' time. But it's going to be a cracking game, I can't wait. We shall find out whether we will be mopping up yoke from Nick Ames' face. Um, good luck getting more than one-word answers from uh, Erling Haaland. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to need it. And apologies for leaving a bit early. We will forgive you this time only. Uh, thank you very much, Nick Ames. Uh, right, going back to Alexia Puteas, Karen, obviously Spain's first match of, of the Euros without her. She looked pretty moody in that baseball cap in the stands um you would be though wouldn't you if on the eve of a, a tournament you pick up an ACL injury and you're having to watch like that um Jorge Vilda replaced her with Irina Guerrero how did she get on um look, it's always going to be difficult coming in and taking effectively the position of the best player in the world and also how Alexia is within the team. I don't know her, but I hear from sponsors and people that I know that know her um, quite well. She's very well thought and well liked within the dressing room, so that's a really difficult one. Um, I saw what they did for her before the game when they presented her with a jersey, but you could clearly see she was 
gutted and, and rightly so because I think it's every player's worst nightmare to get injured the night before and especially when you're Alexi Pateas and you're the best player in the world and you, you're one of the favourites. And But I must say they, they coped really well without Alexia. I think um, I was listening to uh, some of the commentary and I have to agree with them sometimes when a big player or two players in this instance for Spain that have gone missing, Hermoso as well, have not gone missing, have not been able to feature unfortunately. Other players have to step up and I thought they did. And the the one thing I would always say about Spain is I've seen now they've gone through a resilient moment, a couple of resilient moments, losing your big players, but also going a goal down and how do you bounce back? And credit to them, they bounced back really, really well. And I must say, again, it's what you expect from Spain. I sat back and, and watched parts of this game, not all of it, because um, I went to the Germany game and I collapsed because if you want to watch a team play out from the back, if you want a team build up, wow, this is the team to watch. Yeah, uh, Group B going to form as we thought so far, but obviously that could change because Spain-Germany is on uh, Tuesday night. I'm going to decide who I want to win this game after England have played Norway and dependent who is then topping Group A. <laughs> I think at this moment in time, I would much rather England played Spain in the quarterfinals. Uh, so Group B, as I say, going to form. We will reflect on that massive game on next Friday's show. But let's circle back to England's uh, group because we haven't chatted yet about the other match in the group, which was Northern Ireland kicking off their first ever international tournament with a 4-1 defeat to Norway I mean it was a really fast start for the Norwegians goals from Frieda Marnham and Julie Blackstad they were 2-0 up within the first 15 minutes and and you just feared a little bit for Northern Ireland at that point Karen yeah you, you really did you thought oh, this, this could be really this wasn't a nice watch all of a sudden at half time then you saw a real strong version I thought oh here we go we've had a go here and I really was impressed with them and I thought you have to take in consideration the journey that they've been on, really. You know, you're playing against Hegerberg, Guru Wrighton, Carolina Grey Hansen, you know, Leon, Chelsea, Barcelona, the the top teams in Europe, really, are full-time. And you're looking at the Northern Ireland squad who have only been training full-time for a short period of time. And I think the manager alluded to that after the game, the growth of the team and where they've got to get to, where they've got to go. But I thought they'd put a better version of themselves second half and that was belief and kind of going, you know what, we're going to have a go here, we're just going to go for it. And um, I thought it was a better version of them, but it's difficult for them because you can't take out history, you can't take out finance, you can't take out support. And like I said, comparing it to the front line of, of, of Norway and what they're up against, you have to take that in consideration. But it was it was a much better second half than them for sure. A quick word for Simone McGill, Alex, because obviously ruled out of the tournament herself with a knee injury, obviously one of Northern Ireland's best players, so a massive blow, but another serious knee. I mean, we get this all the time, don't we? ACL injuries left, right and centre, but can we even stop it happening? I know there's a lot of research going going on in the background about how to prevent this and whether cycles are, are to blame for ACLs occurring as often as, as they are, but what can be done? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's not a question for me to answer in terms of research, but I think sadly, you know, most of the time it is mainly down to just bad luck. Um, I mean, you see Alexia Potea, she got injured in the last five minutes of training on the eve of the Euros, you know, you don't really write that. Um, She went the entire training session fine. I read that potentially her foot got stuck uh, on the pitch and, you know, a twist and that's all you need. It was the same for for PSG's uh, keeper in the Women's Champions League. 
Um, she was, you know, pedaling backwards to, for a save and her foot got stuck on the grass and that was that. You know, you can look at it in terms of, you know, your menstrual cycle and the elasticity of your ligaments and, and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, the, the motion that you need to tear your ACL is just bad luck, whether it be impacts, you know, a twist. Um, there's there's not much that you could do to kind of, you know, avoid a, a twist, for example. Um, there might be, um, you know, a method to kind of prevent that. But for now, you, you kind of just have to hope for the best. Mm. Guru Wright and impressive as we knew she would be, um, Karen, but the Norway attack looking pretty terrifying and Ada Hegerberg not even on the score sheet. So what are England going to have made of of Norway's opening game ahead of their big one on Monday? The thing is, I I don't think the England side will be, because they know the players, do you know what I mean? They know they've played against Guru. I fancy, I think in the Champions League, sometimes you can defend really well against Carolina Gray Hansen, who for me is the real big threat in a 1v1. I think she really gets them going. I think you just got to stay alert for, for Ada Hegerberg. And I fancy Millie Bright. I think she's had a great season. And I, and I fancy her against her. Be a battle, there's no question about it. And this is the game that we need to really step up on. And this will be a big jump from the last game. That's not me being disrespectful to Austria, but you know they were brilliant. But you'd say for the attacking line, that Norway have got a stronger attacking line. Um, so it'll be a big test for us, but it's one that we need. And if you want to win the Euros, you've got to play these types of players in opposition and deal with them. So, But I don't think we'll be too fearful. But what I would say is you, you mentioned earlier about history in regards to the Netherlands and um, Sweden. There might be a bit of history on this because of you know England beating Norway in probably at least two tournaments that I remember that we were part of. And obviously, I think a little bit of history might come into this one a little bit further along because it will now start to impact where the group finishes. So um, it'll be very, very interesting, actually. And I think England will have to improve. I don't think they played their best. And hearing Lucy Bronze and a few other players, they're fully aware of that. But they need to be better. And if I look at the other teams, I have to admit the other teams are playing better than them. Seeing Germany live, you know, seeing even Denmark, seeing Spain, seeing Sweden... Um, seeing the Netherlands last night, they're better at this moment. I know it's one game, but England do need to improve and step up. So what are your fixtures coming up, Karen? Um, I'm going to Brighton later on. A day early? Yeah, it's match day minus one, isn't it? Get match day minus one vibes. And <laughs> the one I obviously want the England game, but I'm buzzing to see the Germany-Spain game because I think watching two very different styles would be really really interesting and tactically to see how that kind of pans out I'm really really because a lot of the European teams are, are like similar obviously um I think Alex Scott was speaking about last night that she thinks it's harder to win a Euros and a World Cup because everyone's really similar in their style but this is quite a different one I think so I'm really intrigued what about you Alex um yeah tonight uh going to France Italy taking advantage I'm already here in Sheffield I think that should be a, a decent match um and then yeah the heading I'm going to skip the England Norway match sadly um staying around the Peak District instead but I'm gonna head down to Germany Spain obviously on on the Tuesday I, I couldn't miss that I think that was one of the first tickets that I bought um <laughs> from this group stage um and really looking forward to that brilliant stuff Karen I shall see you at the Amex take care thank you thank you for having me on Alex, go rest your voice. Thank you, I'll try.
I'm going to, from now on, recommend all panellists go on the orange walk uh, whenever they possibly can. Uh, we'll be back on Tuesday following England's crunch match against Norway in Group A, as well as checking in on Northern Ireland and the first group games from Group D as well. The Guardian's Women's Football Weekly is produced by Lucy Oliver and Jesse Parker Humphreys with additional help from Silas Gray and George Cooper. Music composition was from Laura Iredale and our executive producers are Chessie Bent, Max Sanderson and Danielle Stevens. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is supported by Visa.